You're listening to the First Six Notes podcast with Classroom Composers, where we dive into everything about teaching band and strings. From pedagogy to fundraising, we'll cover it all. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing successful music teachers, composers, admin, professional private studio teachers, and more to uncover and share their strategies for musical success. So grab a chair and stand and join the conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by the Concert Band Warm-Up Bundle. Start your beginners the right way with our Warm-Up Bundle. This bundle includes warm-ups for mouthpieces, limited range warm-ups for those first months of playing, chromatic warm-ups, articulation warm-ups, phrasing warm-ups, and more. You can find this and more at our Teachers Pay Teachers store, which can be found at www.teacherspayteachers.com store slash classroom hyphen composers. Welcome to the First Six Notes podcast, where we talk everything about teaching band, strings, and music. My name is Kevin Hoff. And I'm Jessica Frank. And in today's episode, we are talking about how we incorporate and connect our warm-up routine to learning in the instrumental music classroom. Now, as far as warming up goes, the basic goal of warming up is you want to get your body physically ready to be able to perform music. You want to get the muscles stretched out and ready, and you want to get your brain focused to be able to uh, complete a rehearsal. Now, the other thing that you're going to want to do as well is you need to tie in the warm-ups to what you're teaching, and that's what uh, today's episode is going to be about. So uh, this is different than like when you're in college band or community band where you don't really have a warm-up. It's just like everybody kind of sits there, you warm up on your own, then the director starts, you tune, and you jump into sheet music. And we're not talking about that in this episode. Uh, We're talking about how to warm up in like an elementary, middle school, and even in some high school classes. So when I started teaching, um, I I would always start class with a B-flat scale and band or a D scale and strings. I'd do the same thing, like whole notes. Now let's do them in half notes. Now quarter notes and eighth notes. And after warming up, we would just play sheet music for the rest of the period. So the kids would would get to the routine pretty quickly. And, you know, three minutes later, we've done our stuff. And now it's time to play sheet music. This was not effective. And my students, they were not really able to sight read. So whenever we pass on a new piece of sheet music, it'd be chaos for 60 measures. Apathy would set in. They'd be like, this is too hard. And then we'd have to quickly move to a piece that the kids knew. It'd bring the morale back in the class. And, you know, we just weren't really learning new music. And it just wasn't really a good situation. But over the years, we've all grown wiser and my warm-up routine has evolved significantly to connect to what we're doing in class to actually what we're using when we're warming up. Right. The goal for a successful warm-up is so that it's tied to what is being taught in your performance music. So warm-ups are, yes, for warming up, but they actually also are a form of teaching and enforcing skills with our students. We look at everything that performance music requires, such as range, rhythms, articulations, dynamics, and so on, and structure a daily warm-up sequence to teach and reinforce those concepts. The goal of all this is that it's taught in isolation before they are taught in the context of the sheet music. Therefore, if the sheet music piece has a forte piano and a staccato section, your ensemble should be doing warm-ups that include forte piano and staccatos well before you pass out the sheet music. Yeah, and this this past year we were at TMEA, and I intended this really interesting clinic about what the judges are listening for. And one thing that the guy said that when it comes to articulations, what a lot of us do 
is we wait until the sheet music to teach articulations. So like I know, um, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that when, when we pass a new sheet music and kids are like, what are those little dots above the notes? Or what are those little lines above the notes mean? Or what are those little greater than signs? Or, you know, and then you're like, oh, that's called a staccato, play it short. That's called a tenuto, play it long. But the problem with that is that when you do that, it's like the kids don't really know how to play staccato yet. So then to teach them how to play staccato, you're having them like play like this difficult sheet music when it's like really what they should be doing is they should be playing like a scale on staccato first, something that they can easily do. So like 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 Jessica was saying, everything needs to be taught in isolation before you apply it to the sheet music. Right, because we're asking the students to do too much at once if we are having them learn new notes and rhythms in a song and an articulation they've never seen before. So now that automatically makes the sheet music harder to learn because they're adding in something they've never seen. Yes, exactly. So that's why we use these daily warm-ups. So like we look at everything that the piece like requires and we'll go over all those articulations, all the dynamics and all like and all that stuff. Now I'm sure as music teachers we're familiar with this term the uh, the sound over sight method and that's also how we acquire language skills you know we learn to hear English and speak English before we can read and write English and the same thing is true with music so for a lot of these warm ups it's like if you want the kids to be able to read all these symbols they have to be able to do all the physical aspects of it first like put the right fingers down, do the right things with their tongues, do the right things with their bows. And so that's essentially what we're trying to get them to do during this warm-ups. So uh, like I was saying, when I started my career, warm-ups lasted three minutes maybe, and then we just hit the sheet music hard for the rest of the period. But I'd say now, uh, depending on the day, the warm-ups might take half the class. And it's just a variety of, of different exercises that you do every single day with the kids and small variations so that you nail those things like staccatos in isolation, dynamics in isolation, rhythms that they're going to need in the piece in isolation, just so when it comes to sheet music that they're as successful as possible. So moving on, we're going to give some examples of how we connect our warm-ups to our performance music, and we're going to give two examples. The first one is going to be an elementary strings example, but this can certainly be applied to a band class, an elementary band class, or even a middle school group. And then the second example is going to be more of a middle school band class. So uh, let's jump into our elementary strings example. And like I said, this would work for a band class. You just kind of convert it. So for the purposes of this example, in our beginning string classes, we see the students twice a week for two 30-minute sessions. And our performance music is typically a unison method book song. So we'll play at our first winter concert like Hot Cross Buns and Mary Had a Little Lamb. So for this example, we're going to talk about tying in what we do in our warm-up classes to learning Mary Had a Little Lamb. Now, when you look at Mary Had a Little Lamb, in order to play Mary Had a Little Lamb, what your students have to be able to do is they have to be able to read and play three different notes. They have to know what those pitches on the staff look like. They have to know what the rhythmic symbols look like. They have to know how to bow correctly, so their tone production they have to know how to sit correctly, and they have to know how to do all their fingerings correctly. So prior to actually when we get to finally the page that has Mary Had a Little Lamb, we need to make sure that the students can bow all these rhythms. So to accomplish this, we'll draw all the rhythms required for Mary Had a Little Lamb, so quarter notes and half notes, the two quarters, the one half note, 
and we'll do those rhythms and we'll just isolate those rhythms. So this will be several weeks even before the lesson. We'll have the kids play those rhythms on one note and then we'll have them play a different rhythm on one note so that they can all physically accomplish the rhythms found in Mary Had a Little Lamb. We also, like I said, need to make sure that they can play three pitches. So we'll do something similar while we'll just draw like letters on the board and we'll have those students play those back to us and we'll mix up the letters so that they can play pretty much every single variation of those three notes that we can think of so that they're confident in being able to do the physical aspect of putting the fingers down to be able to play that. Now, on the actual day of the lesson, I'll start off by having the students play a three-note scale. So in, in the context of strings, we would go four Ds, four first finger Es, four F sharps, then back down four Es and four Ds. Then after that, we'll do two of each. So two Ds, two Es, two F sharps, two Es, two Ds, and then we'll do one of each. D, E, F sharp, E, D. Then after that, we move into our sound check, and uh, we'll have Jessica talk about this in just a second. But um, what, what we do with the sound check is we'll pick the hardest part of the song, and we'll have every student play that part on their own. So we'll just go down the row, first person play, second person play. And then the, in the case of this song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, it would be the first three notes, F sharp, E, and D. So a sound check is an informal way to test your students and to quickly go around the room and hear how they're doing. So you would hear each student play on their own. And like Kevin says, it's a short part of the song. So just about one measure. They each play just down the row. And then you can quickly notice if they're doing it correctly or not and fix a small mistake. So maybe their fingers aren't right or their posture needs fixing. And you just say, okay, great. Yeah, make sure you step straight and then next. And then, oh, make sure you put your first finger down and so on and so forth. So it's a really great way to assess everyone, but it also keeps the students accountable in learning the music. Yeah, and it's a really good way, like Jessica was saying, with assessing everybody. But it's a good way of quickly getting an assessment done in a large class where you don't see them every single day. Just be like, all right, just do this. And then it's also helpful because if the whole class can do it, they should be able to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. If the whole class can't do it, well, then you scrap the lesson and you have to go back and you've got to reteach some things. Mm -hmm. So my theory is, is that if the majority of the students can play those three notes, and if you taught it right, pretty much I'd say every kid can, then you should be able to, with ease, teach Mary Had a Little Lamb. Because they've done the rhythms, they've done the physical aspects of putting the fingers down, they've read the notation because you've put different notations up on the board, different variations of it, they understand what all of those symbols mean. So when it comes to Mary Had a Little Lamb, it's just they're going to look at the music and they're going to play it. Rather than like you having to like model all the time and show them all sorts of different stuff, all the stuff's been pre-planned, front-loaded, and they're ready to be successful. And our next example is going to be the middle school example, and this is for band. So the first thing you want to do is take your sheet music and look at everything that a student needs to know in order to be successful in playing that piece. So you need to hyper-analyze it. You won't need to know what pitches, rhythms, articulations, dynamics, and phrasing that are in that piece. And then so for this, this example, we are going to be talking about the piece First Decree by Robert W. Smith. So in this piece, students need to play their first six notes, eighth notes, staccatos, accents, and slurred articulations. 
Yeah, and we're using First Decree because we actually just recently took this piece uh, to festival with our sixth grade beginning band group. And uh, there was a lot of things that we pulled out of this and turned them into warm-ups, and it ultimately made them successful. So in sixth grade band, we always start with our what we call our sixth note warm-up, which is the first six pitches of the concert B-flat scale. We do this every single day, and the students have the order of the notes memorized, But what they are used to is that they're used to us changing it and calling out different rhythms and articulations and dynamic variations. So, for example, we'll say things like, all right, let's play the first six notes in quarter notes up and down, and then they know what that means. All right, now let's play it on this rhythm. So I'll point to a rhythm on the board, and they have to go ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, if that's a rhythm or whatever you want the rhythm to be. We started doing things like, since there's a lot of staccatos in the first decree, we'll have them play four quarter notes staccato on each pitch. They go ta, 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 and so on. Then we'll also do where they'll do like two staccato notes followed by two attenuto notes so that that they understand the difference. So ta, 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 ta. So that they're, you know, able to get used to the exact polar opposites and make sure that they're exaggerating it. Because I think a lot of times when we're teaching things like articulations, the kids just aren't. I mean, like they think they're going short, but they are, in fact, not going short enough. The other things that we'll do is uh, there's slurs in uh, the song, too. And so we'll have them go up in quarter notes where they'll slur two notes. So the first two notes are slurred. Notes three and four are slurred, five and six are slurred. And then in this first degree piece as well, there'll be like two slurs followed by two staccato notes. And then we'll have like on the six notes, first and second scale degree will be slurred. Three and four will be a staccato. So really, we're just trying to come up with different variations of what they're trying to do in uh, the performance piece of music. The next uh, topic is we look at is dynamics. So in first decree, there are actually not a lot of dynamic variation, but so something we've done instead to isolate this is to conduct each pitch of a scale and then alter the variation. So we'll say start at like piano and the students have to watch us because we're going to change it up every time. So that's also a good activity to get students to watch the conductor. Yeah, like and what we'll do is we'll have the right hand that'll change like the pitch. So we'll have them play and hold the first note. And then like the left hand, if left hand goes up, the volume goes up. And if it goes down, it goes down as well. And the thing I like about it is that like if they're not soft enough, I just keep putting the hand down until they're actually at like a proper piano like dynamic, which is what we're going to want them to get down to. And then the other thing I've found that students struggle with are forte pianos. Now, there's no forte pianos in the first decree, so it's not really a good example um, with that particular piece. But what we'll do is we'll do like that six note scale again, where each one has to be a forte piano. So they'll play a whole note, they'll sting it out forte, drop down to piano, and then do a crescendo after that. And then we're just working on making sure that they drop down to almost nothing. And so if they can do that, where it's like the, the, the sole focus is, is the dynamic, you know, playing the notes of that scale is not challenging for them, but this allows them to really focus on just those dynamics so that when they get a piece of music that has a forte piano, well, they, they already physically know what to do. So they're like, all right, well, forte piano, I know exactly what to do this rather than you having to be like, all right, 
Play Measure 72. Nope, not soft enough. Play Measure 72. Do again. Nope, not, not soft enough. It's like, no, they just see that and they know exactly what to do already. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we like to do every class is is some sort of rhythms. So we ha- we do have rhythm drills that we like to do. And it's a packet where it looks like snare drum music. So we have the students play the rhythms on their first note. So, you know, that's how they can focus just on the rhythms and not the notes of the music. So that, again, that's isolating the rhythm without thinking about what notes to press down on the instrument. And then that's how we introduce more difficult rhythms before they see it in the music. Yeah, like, and they're just playing it just on like a concert B flat. But basically, this rhythm book that we have, it's got every like possible different variation of a rhythm that a sixth grader or a seventh grader or an eighth grader is going to see. So that, you know, when they see rhythms in the music, they're like, okay, like, I already know what this is. Or, and like, it even goes up like to 16th notes. So when they, when they see a 16th, they're like, oh, I've played this in the rhythm book. You know, I just, you know, I just have to go like this and I kind of know what to do already. So we'll definitely isolate all those rhythms and just make sure that they can literally play every single possible type of eighth note variation and quarter note and half note variation and with rests too. And just like Kevin was saying earlier with our dynamics, you know, we'll tell them, wait, that's not soft enough. We'll do the same with the rhythms. If they mess up a rhythm, just one student, we do it again. So it turns into a game for the class and they actually, you know, kind of enjoy it. They want to see if they could be perfect. And so it gets really fun to do it. Yeah. And just going back to First Decree, there are two particular sections in that song where the whole band is playing. They're changing between quarter notes and quarter rests. And it's the entire band all in the same rhythm. It goes for like four measures. And it was kind of cool because when we got there, it was like the first time they played it, it was it was perfect. And, and I was like, hey, you know, like, what does this section remind you of? They're like, oh, it's like one of those rhythm drills. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's exactly like one of those rhythm drills where the whole band's playing the same thing. And if one person plays in the rest then they've like screwed it up. And I've done pieces like that where they, you know, the whole band's playing kind of a tricky rhythm and there's rests and like all that stuff. And I'm sure our listeners have played pieces like that, too. And like, how many times have you played those pieces and you're yelling at kids for playing the rest back, stop playing in the rest and you just do it again, do it again, do it. But you know, if they're, if they're programmed with their warmups, with their rhythms, then like they're already good to go and you don't have to just spend your time screaming at them. You just have to be like, Hey, it's a rhythm drill. Oh, okay. And then, you know, they pretty much know what to do after that. Mm -hmm. And the uh, next thing we like to focus on also is phrasing. And uh, for phrasing, first decree is not a great example but we did play a farewell at dawn, and uh, there's there's a considerable amount of phrasing in, in there, and so we had to create some warm ups that would help the kids to phrase those lyrical pieces better. So to enforce phrasing, we like to play simple songs that the kids already know uh, they know the lyrics to, such as "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star," and then we make them play it like they would sing it. Yeah, and and we'll even put the words down there too. So if the kids are breathing every note, we'd say like, "You wouldn't sing like." twink, go, twink. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense. So like, you know, like we'll make them kind of sing it to themselves. I found that making kids sing in class, especially in sixth grade, doesn't really work super well, but we'll kind of make it sing them to themselves. And then if they start breathing everywhere, I'm like, no, you're playing it like twink, go, twink. And then like, they kind of get when like you sing it for them and you sing it how they're playing it. That tends to help them a lot. It's, It's interesting because in music notation, outside of a breath mark, which is, you know, not really used all that much. I'd say in most like harder music that you might play in college or professional stuff, they really only put breath marks when they need you to actually have a pause or a breath there. 
But outside of breath marks, we don't really have a system of phrasing. And phrasing is just, it's one of those confusing things that you just kind of have to learn to do. So we've created um, some breathing notations and phrasing notations that the kids are familiar with. So we'll actually go through and we'll have them write NB for no breath. We'll have them put those two words. So like, you know, like we'll probably spend maybe 15 minutes of a class being like, all right, and measure 13 trombones and clarinets and whatever you guys need to put an NB in between measure 13 and 14 so that you don't breathe there. And the other symbol is that we'll have them put breath marks in where we want them to breathe if there's a no breathing section coming up. And then we'll also draw an arrow if we want them to sustain a note for the full duration. So if we're playing like a lyrical piece, they're always going to want to chop that whole note. So we'll have them draw a line with an arrow on it so they sustain for their full duration. Right. And it's really important that we help the students out and show them where it's important to breathe or not to breathe. Because as a beginner student, they're just learning, they're just playing what they see on the page and they haven't really thought through how to make it sound more lyrical. And and this is usually something the judges always have to comment on. But always. <laughs> so it's important that we help them out because they don't exactly know that it's not important to breathe in certain spots. So it's better that we help the students out with that. Yeah, because they're going to go to notes and rhythms first and, you know, they're not going to think musically. And, and I think it's hard because, like, we get it, you know, like, like we kind of know those unwritten rules of, like, when to breathe and when not to breathe. But that's, it, it's such an advanced skill, you know, that's something yeah. that a beginner's not worried about because, exactly, they're, they're worried about playing the right notes and the rhythms, exactly. not, not where to breathe. Right. So uh, this is actually our first year of doing this, and I'd say that it really, really worked well and the kids got it. And when we actually played uh, Feral at Dawn, which was our lyrical selection, when we actually played that for the judges, it was like, they actually all like, it was cool. They all remembered, don't breathe here. Sustain this for the full duration. And uh, we actually end up getting uh, the the highest score that we've ever gotten at festival. And I think that this, this system of breathing notation that like we did really was what helped us a lot with that and doing all this phrasing warm-ups and having them play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and have them sing it. And so we're definitely going to be doing that in in the future. We're going to be doing that with our advanced groups as well and just taking a few minutes just to write those symbols in and doing warm-ups with those symbols as well. So all of these warm-ups that we've talked about in today's episode, we do them all by road or a variation of road by writing them up on the board. But it is important that we do keep them in the same order. You know, we always do our six-note warm-up before rhythms and so on and so forth because students need structure in their warm-ups and in their class structure. And so it's important that they know what's next so that they can have it ready on their stand, that they're not taking time trying to flip to something in their binders, and that they, they just know what's happening in class so they know what to expect. Yeah, and uh, like Jessica was saying, these are all done by rote, but we have uh, compiled these and we've actually put them into standard notation, at least a lot of the warm-ups that we do. So if you're interested, uh, we do have our warm-up bundle, which is going to have um, a bunch of different types of warm-ups. Like I said, we've got limited range warm-ups, so we've got three-note versions, four-note versions, five-note versions, six-note versions, seven-note versions, and eight-note versions that you can use with your kids uh, throughout the year, and you can kind of graduate up. Okay, well, now they know four notes. Move to the four-note warm-up or move to the fifth-note warm-up and so on. We've got articulation warm-ups that will isolate staccatos, tenudos, accents, marcados, and then it'll mix them all up together. We have our phrasing warm-ups, which helps them first 
build up their lung strength so that they can sustain for more than three notes. And then it's got, like I said, it's got Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with the lyrics underneath. Mary Had a Little Lamb with the lyrics underneath so you can sing it and then you can play it after that. It's got flexibility warm-ups to get the clarinets and woodwinds instruments playing in their upper registers and lip slurs. And we, we just have all that stuff that we've all done by rote throughout the years. And we've uh, finally I've put it into standard notation. So we're going to be incorporating that a lot more next year. And then, you know, once our beginners are no longer beginners, we start to incorporate other warm-ups into our daily routines too, such as sight reading exercises. And we have a whole mm-hmm. book for that. And then also corrals, which help develop that phrasing, like we're talking about the breathing, putting that all together. So um, it's really important that you incorporate all that in your daily routines because it just really helps build a better, well-rounded musician. All right. And wrapping things up here, I think the big takeaway uh, from today's episode is it's all about uh, backwards planning. So think about what are your goals? What pieces are you going to be performing at your concert or your, your competition? Hyperanalyze everything that's needed in those pieces. And now craft your warm-ups around what those pieces are going to demand. So if the piece has you playing an octave and a half in a range, you need to be playing warm-ups that include that. If your pieces like change key signatures, you need to be able to make sure that the kids can play at least etudes in those two keys or three keys or, you know, it's whatever you're playing. If the performance music has 16th notes in it, the kids need to be doing 16th notes in their warmups. If you need to have a section of, if there's a section of marcados followed by accents and, you know, like snudos, you need to make sure that in their warmups, they're doing all of those articulations. So look at your performance music, think about what is required, analyze it, and then find a way to isolate each and everything and have the kids master those things before you even get to the music. Right. The sheet music should not be what teaches the students concepts. They should see and um, know how to do all that before the sheet music so that the sheet music is easier to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You just summed it up perfectly there. <laughs> so if you have a good warm up routine that you like and you want to share that with us, we want to hear from you. Make sure you join our Facebook group. It's just the first six notes on Facebook. And then uh, let us know what, what you thought of our warm ups. If you want to suggest something different or if you like and you want to incorporate that into your class, let us know as well. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and we want to hear from you. All right. And shout out to our super producer, Tammy, for putting this whole thing together. And as always, keep teaching music, keep inspiring, and we'll hear from you next time. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, share it with a friend, connect with us on Instagram, and check out the show notes. And while you're at it, check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers and our website at classroomcomposers.com. Until next time, keep inspiring.